This is from Proverbs 13, 1 through 18. Um, it's like she said, it's in the Bible on page 597, if you're still turning there. I hear some pages turning, so I'll give it a second. <clears throat> Okay. A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth, a man eats what is good, but the desire of, a of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin." Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. This is the word of the Lord. It'll never get old each Sunday. It'll be great to hear that. Hey. We are uh, glad that you're here. Before we get started, I just want to caveat a little bit about the Fall Fest. Um, actually, three years ago this month, we transitioned to two services um, here as a church. And so, yeah, it's pretty incredible to think about that. That was three years ago. And um, we only had two kids at the time, and now we have a third one. It's like crazy stuff, right? But... Um, so the cool thing about that is, is we as a church don't really get to gather that often um, as just one people and really with no agenda other than just to have fun. And so we really want you to come out um, this afternoon and hang out with us. It's a great event for the family. And again, we always say that events like this are how you get to know one another, really get connected as a church. So again, just a quick caveat this afternoon, please come out to the Fall Fest. But hey, we're continuing in our sermon series, Managing God's Money. And so last week we talked about whose is it, newsflash, um, it's all God's. And so we just kind of started right there. And what was interesting this week when um, I was in communi our community group, it was really interesting to talk about and to hear about how little maybe there was of teaching growing up when it comes to money and the Bible. Or if it was taught, it was basically, um, we need your money let's pray type of a, you know, sort of a mindset. And so we're in week two on this series and we're still not going to talk about yet, yet, um, about giving it. But rather this week we're talking about um, how do I earn it? So whose is it? And then how do I earn it? And maybe as a way of introduction, this will be helpful. This is a picture from an item from 1744, and it is 
a lottery ticket from 1744. So if you know anything about American history, um, we became the great nation America in 1776, right? This is from 1744, and a fun little fact is the early colonies actually raised funds and supported themselves by a lottery. And newsflash, uh, back then, the colonies still won, the states still win, and the government still wins um, in the lottery. But as I was doing a little bit of research, um, last year, in 2018, um, Americans spent $77.7 billion, billion dollars um, in lottery tickets and any sort of Powerball or sort of anything like that. Why are you guys so nervous already? Goodness gracious, right? We're just talking, okay? We're just talking. $77.7 billion. But we're in a recession, or we were, right? Times are tough, you know? Um, it's interesting, um, but here's some more stats. According to multiple studies, 70% of lottery winners end up going broke and filing for bankruptcy, 70%. And here's what's interesting. These statistics are very easy to track because not a lot of people win the lottery, okay? So when you do, you go into a very small category and you can follow that money and trace that money. 70%, how about this one? 44% of lottery winners had spent all of their winnings within five years of winning the lottery. Five years, and I know what you're doing. Yeah, well, they didn't. I wouldn't have. I, uh, okay, cool. Um, lottery winners with the prize of at least $50,000 or more are likely to file for bankruptcy within five years of winning their prize. But you're above the stats, right? I wouldn't. No, I would. I'd only buy four houses and then I would give it all to Westside. Or, I don't know. Is that what you, you're right? Okay. Um, but as I read through the stories, it was just crazy to think about. And, and this guy's pretty famous. Maybe you've heard of him. Jack Whitaker in 2002 won the Powerball of $314,900,000. Um, he did the lump sum, and the lump sum totaled $113,386,000, or I'm sorry, $386,407 in cash. Um, Jack Whitaker, in 20 months, was divorced, dependent upon alcohol every minute of his day, and said in the Washington Post, I wish I had torn up the ticket. It took Jack four years to squander his wealth. Four years. How do I earn it? When we talk about money... And when we talk about the Bible, the Bible has a very predominant major question to ask. And it's this, how'd you get it? That's the question we're on today. How did you get your wealth? And Solomon would say, um, the way that I have surveyed life, when people come upon large amounts of money very quickly, well, he just says it right there in verse 11. We're going to spend our time on that. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. It will. And so we're in Proverbs today, okay? So Proverbs is ascribed the author to be Solomon. Remember Solomon? 
Um, We spent a long time in the book of Ecclesiastes with Solomon. Solomon, according to scripture, was the wisest man um, outside of Jesus who ever lived, also the wealthiest. The reason why is because he sort of had an Aladdin moment with God, and God was like, hey, what do you want? I'll give that to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for money. God was just amazed at that and said, wow, this is incredible. Because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to bless you with all of these other things. And and you know what's really, really interesting is I think we can even just from that story of Solomon have an application point. And it's this. Money minus wisdom equals pain. Flat out. Listen, the answer, and I'm not trying to get political. This is biblical. The answer is not shelling out money. That's not the answer. Money minus wisdom will only be multiplied pain in your life. So we learned last week that the Bible has a lot to say about money. Not because money's the most important thing. Money's not the most important thing, is it? Money reveals the most important thing, which is what you love. And so this week, as we talk about how do I earn it, how do I make a living, again, all we do is follow the money to reveal your heart and my heart as well. And when it comes to the idea of earning money, and really money in general, we think two ways. I mean, we think when it comes to money, rich and poor. That's how we sort of sociologically um, classify people, wealthy and poor. Um, Proverbs would not classify people that way. Solomon puts people in two categories, godly, ungodly. That's it. So so guess what? You can be um, godly rich and godly poor. You can be um, ungodly rich and ungodly poor. The factor in all of this is what is revealed behind our heart. And money's the thing that reveals that. And Solomon here in Proverbs 13, Proverbs is, is sort of like, um, think about if an ancient person had a Twitter account, right? So it's just like these isolated tweets that are just fired out like early in the morning. Um, Twitter's a pretty big deal, right? It kind of controls the news now every single day, right? And so it's, imagine if Solomon in the morning was just this wisdom, his early morning devotion, he's just firing out these tweets. And in Proverbs 13, he sort of narrows down and talks a lot about this idea of wealth and how we get it. And so to answer the question, the big idea today when the Bible says, how did you get your wealth? The Bible would teach us this. Godly people earn money honestly, diligently, and humbly. That's it. Godly people, remember, godly people earn money honestly, diligently, and humbly. And so when we look at the passage, the first thing, we're just going to break that down. The first thing is this. Godly people earn money Honestly, do you see that there in verse 11? Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. I like the way that the NIV has it. If you have an NIV translation, it says dishonest money dwindles away. I love those two Ds. Dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little will make it grow. But I really love the New Living Translation. Sometimes they get it right. Sometimes they are way off base. But on this one, they're pretty good. It says this, wealth from get-rich-quick schemes 
quickly disappears. But wealth from hard work, it grows over time, right? You know what's funny is, is as I studied this week and tried to gather a lot of resources, and by the way, I had a lot of people ask me last week, like, hey, when it comes to money, you know, we've kind of got some savings. We were wondering, like, do you do this? I don't know. Like, I'm not in the market. I don't know any of that stuff. All I'm doing in this series is teaching what the Bible talks about when it comes to money, okay? We got resources back there. You need to call a financial investor. Like, I mean, I am not knowledgeable of all things of all time, okay? I'm pulling from a ton of different resources. I'm learning a ton of different stuff. But what's interesting, when, when we talk about this and when we look at the Scriptures, I love how the Bible just very, just on the bottom shelf, lets us know this stuff. And it says that if you think that there is this sort of shortcut when it comes to acquiring wealth, that's, that's not there. And, and Proverbs aren't like promises as much as they are principles. Now, here, here's what I mean by that. Solomon is saying in everyday life, as he surveys life as the wisest man who's ever lived outside of Jesus, Solomon is stepping back, surveying the world, and then also with his infinite wisdom that he has, still finite, he says, this is the way that this generally happens. This is the way that life works out about 99.9% of the time. Why is it such a big deal when the Bible says, how did you get it? Why is the Bible so concerned about dishonest gain? dishonest gain. Why is it concerned about that? Well, it's interesting. Later on in the book of Ephesians, Paul would sort of exhort the church and he would say this, anyone who has been stealing, has been, right, in the past, has been stealing, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Wow. Paul pulls in other people. And you know what's interesting? When we think about dishonest gain, we're thinking about like, you know, robbing a bank or doing something, you know, like that. We don't think about um, wasting our employer's time watching Netflix. It's nine, but we're coming with it today, okay? We just got to kind of get down at this, all right? When it comes to honestly working for what we are trying to gain, the Bible says that anytime you get off the path of honesty, here's the deal. Nobody sins in isolation. Dishonest gain damages other people. Always. I mean, 100% of the time. You cannot gain money in a dishonest way and not damage another person or another relationship and a person who is created in the image and likeness of God. For there are two great commands that sum up all the law and prophets. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then how is that manifested? And you should love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot earn money dishonestly without affecting those two great commands. And so when Paul talks about, listen, 
if those of you are a part of the church and, you, and, and you've been stealing, you've been living this lifestyle, hey, listen, don't do that anymore. Earn an honest living because you now have greater responsibility. You now can help other people in their lives. So we earn money honestly. And what does this look like? What does it look like for somebody who has lived a dishonest life earning their money, okay? And listen, can we just be honest in church? There's probably a large portion of us in here today that at some point in our life or maybe currently now are cutting corners, okay? What does it look like for somebody who has lived this sort of lifestyle who now encounters Christ and has experienced the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus? Now what? I'm glad you asked. There's actually an exact story of that in the Bible. Remember Zacchaeus? Was a wee little man. Wee little man was he, right? Climb down from that sycamore tree for I'm going to your house today. Remember that, right? Zacchaeus was a fraudulent tax collector. You know what he did? He worked for the Roman government. And he would go knock on your door and he would say, hey, your taxes are due. But the Roman government would only ask for, let's say, 5%. And he would go, well, you know, we look at your bill. Um, we're going to need about 7% of your week's wages. And then he would skim off the top and keep those things. It was fraudulent. He did it in a dishonest way. Meets Jesus. And you know what his first response is? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Just really praying for my relationship with Christ. Just really want to get past this glass ceiling. And God, what's your will for my life? And um, here you go. If you have earned money or if you are earning money, in a dishonest way, make it right. Make it right. What are you saying, four times? I, I mean, Zacchaeus did. I don't know. that You need to pray about that. But listen, here's the thing. Here's the thing. If you're inflating those bids, if you're doing something that is dishonest, and you know that it is dishonest, and you claim the name of Christ, the application today is for you to make it right. Hey, listen, look up here. You ain't got to pray about this one. Well, just kind of kick the idea around and, you know, really didn't feel convicted. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Thus saith the Lord, make it right. But listen, I'm even more concerned about why you want to make it right. I'm concerned about, listen, we're not about behavior modification. We're about heart transformation. And listen to me. We don't live honestly so Jesus will love us. We live honestly because God already loves us in Christ. This is evident. This is a physical act of repentance, right? So this is an understanding that because God has shown his mercy and grace in my life and I now claim the name of Christ greater than anything in my life, including money, I now change the direction and the way in which I was living not so God will now love me. But it's because he already does. And it's literally me putting my money, not where my mouth is, but where my heart is. 
and proving and showing that Scripture commands that godly people earn money honestly. And so we make it right because of the grace of God. But it's not just honestly, it's also diligently. Look in verse 4, it says this, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. I feel like I love how honest the Bible is, right? I mean, can you imagine a counseling session with King Solomon? First off, one time there were these two ladies who like one of them said that that was their baby. And then the other one was like, no, that's my baby. And Solomon was like, all right, cut the baby in half. Let's see whose it really is. And the one lady was like, no. And he was like, oh, that's totally her baby, right? They wouldn't want to cut in half, right? But imagine Solomon, I'm uh, financially struggling, not able to keep a job. Yeah, um, it's because you're a sluggard. Next, right? Just laying it out, man. Hey, listen, Proverbs has a lot to say about the sluggard. It talks about the grasshopper, the ant. The word sluggard is mentioned 34 times in the book of Proverbs. And what's interesting is the word diligent literally means um, to have been sharpened to a point over time. So it's this, and, and, and again... Whoever gains little by little, little by little will increase it. So it's very much so this idea of hard work. It's mind-blowing, right, to think about. It's not only that we gain money honestly, but it's also diligently. It's this idea of hard work, little over little. But listen, do you know what happens in the church? In the name of Jesus and the name of, quote, being nice, Here's what happens. You have financially responsible people, and then who do they attract? Other financially responsible people or financially irresponsible people? And so what you have in the name of Christ and in the name of niceness in the church is a group of financially well-minded, honest, diligent, hard workers, and then sluggards, okay? I'm just using Bible words, all right? And so then it's this idea of you should take care of me because that's the nice thing to do. Um, The problem with that is the Bible. And also the Apostle Paul actually had to address this with the church. This was read to us in one of our readings. In 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul addresses this issue and he says this, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command, all right? This is from an apostle, all right? Remember, they used to do cool stuff like, hey, you're blind. Ah, right, okay? This is a command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Oh, oh. Do you know what that church just said to me? I'm never coming back here. Paul said, Paul said that I had to work hard. Oh, right? I mean, and listen, he goes on. Let him not eat. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Isn't that great? You're not busy at work. You're busy, basically it's stirring up trouble. That's really all you do, okay? You don't have a job, you're bored, 
and you cause all kinds of drama, all right? So this is how we encourage you and command you, here it is, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big, do you understand how big of a deal that is? From Paul, an apostle, we command this and encourage this. And just to kind of put a notary on this deal, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and earn their own living. Now listen, listen. In 2 Peter, he says, do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right? Westside's a very, very generous church. There's a lot of people and a lot of things, and some of the hardest workers I've ever known in my entire life attend Westside. And I think about you. On Tuesday, when I want to phone it in, and I think about you who are manual laborers and you're out in the hot sun and you're grinding it out or you're 12, 14-hour days. You encourage me. And I'm so grateful for you. So please listen. I'm not be, this is not for you. Those of you who have a clear conscience of diligently working hard, the single mom who's going to school, who's got the kids, bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are cheering for you. But listen to me, if you are a sluggard who expects this church to allow you to coast in your laziness, that will not happen. And we have to understand the theology of work, right? I mean, it's where we're spending literally a majority of our lives. We have to understand a concept of work from a biblical standpoint. And listen, the first thing is this. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but work is not a result of sin. Okay. Right? We, uh, I'm sorry. Okay. We see this in the, it was read to you, right? Isn't it crazy how all the readings make sense? And we're trying to tell a story here, right? In Genesis, it says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of, of, of Eden to work it and to keep it. Genesis 2, <laughs> right? Not um, as a result of sin. So why? Because listen, what was God doing all those days? Working. You know, I don't know, making the cosmos. That's cool. That's pretty hard day's work right there, right? And then he says, let us create man in our own image and likeness, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so the only way that we can really carry out the image of God is to work, is to work. But something happened in Genesis 3. Sin shatters everything. So listen, work is not a result of sin. Work is a struggle because of sin. And all God's people said, amen, right? Hashtag the struggle is real, the grind, the salt mines. And it's, I mean, God says this. In Genesis 3, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. All the vegetarians were like, there it is, right there. I mean, right? <laughs> By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. What's God saying? There's a fight now. There's a struggle. 
you are still going to have to cultivate this thing and partner with me in creation. And this was going to be a beautiful partnership, like a symphony between God and his creation and man and woman created in the own image and likeness of God. But now this thing's fighting back at you. There's thorns, there's thistles, there's this grind that's taking place. That's why it is so difficult some days. And, the, and you're just, and what we do is we try to either change careers, we're very discontent, it's always the workplace, it's always my boss, it's always something else other than, other than accepting the reality that work is a struggle because of this effect. And so it's diligent that we have to work at this. And listen, here's all I'm trying to say. There's no substitute for hard work. <laughs> like, talk about a word for my generation. Right? We th- I mean, we live in Instagram. We're the filter and the everything. And I'm watching LeBron James on TV and Tom Brady while I'm eating pizza and Doritos. And I'm going, he should have caught that. Are you kidding me, Ezekiel Elliott? Goodness gracious, you can't even run four yards, right? I mean, literally, Ezekiel Elliott can run 70 yards before I go to the fridge and come back and sit in my chair. It's unbelievable, right? Because we think now in the world in which we live that everybody who has everything, I should have that too. And I'm owed that. And what we don't see is hard work gathered little by little. It won't dwindle away is what Solomon's saying. So listen, we earn money honestly, diligently. And then the last thing is this, humbly. Humbly. There's a lot about instruction in Proverbs, but in verse 18 it says this, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. I mean, remember the guy from the beginning of the sermon? I'm sure his financial advisor at some point was like, you don't need another Ferrari. Um, you own nine of them, right? <laughs> and it was probably like, no, you know, this is the new one or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. Again, Money is not the most important thing. Money reveals the most important thing, which is what you love. And most of the time, a, listen, a true test of someone's spiritual and emotional maturity, listen, is how they receive correction. And Proverbs asks this question. Are you teachable? I mean, that's all through the book of Proverbs. Are you teachable? Can you sit down and be taught something. And do you know how we can actually measure when it comes to our money, right? Or wait, whose money? See, that's good, you passed the test, okay? How we can measure when it comes to acquiring wealth and if we are teachable or not. Well, are we earning it God's way? And God also has a way in which we think is counterintuitive when it comes to earning wealth. Um, it's called a Sabbath rest. <laughs> and this, I mean, like, you're going to be like, what? What? This doesn't make any sense at all, right? Do you know what we see from God's work ethic? 
Well, it's, it's right here in Genesis 2.2. And on the seventh day, God finished his what? Work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Question, I ask my kids these kind of questions, right? Was God tired? Was God like, oh, man, the sun really took it out of me today. Speaking that into existence was kind of draining. Should probably, you know, take a nap. No, 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 no. As Jesus would say, um, this idea of the Sabbath wasn't made necessarily for an understanding of God. It was made for you, for you to understand something. And do you know what the Sabbath actually teaches us? And, and I'm not going to get into the theological weeds of what day is that, this, that, and the other. Hey, listen, here's what we saw. God worked six days, and he took a day off in which that should be mirrored by his people, okay? If you want to argue with me, send me an email. I won't read it. I'll forward it to someone else, all right? That's fine. I just think you're going to find a very different way. If you try to find a different way than that, I just don't think it's going to work for you. And how about this as an uh, illustration? This is probably a good illustration, right? Uh, the Lord's chicken, right? Anybody ever ate at a Chick-fil-A? Right? Yeah, right? The Lord's chicken. I'm not talking about Popeyes. Are you kidding me? Right? No, I'm just kidding. Right? Um, Chick-fil-A is pretty incredible when you think about it. 2,225 stores. That's it. What they have here in the U.S. Um, and per store, they gross more than McDonald's, Starbucks, and Subway combined per store. Closed on Sunday. Now listen, I'm not trying to say that Chick-fil-A is better than every, I'm not saying that. Here's what I am saying. I think you can try to argue the correlation of drawing the line from that type of work ethic directly to God's design for it. And I don't think you're going to make a very good argument to disprove that. Listen, here, here's the concept. God can do in one day more with your finances than you can do with six. Okay? In one day, in one day, God can do more with your finances than you can do with all six combined and six lifetimes. Okay? Because do you know what a Sabbath actually is? A Sabbath is an invitation. And it's an invitation to answer this question that God asks in the Sabbath. Do you trust me? You trust me? Then take a day off. Don't do anything. <gasps> right? I mean, some of you already tighten the chest. You're like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, let us pray and in the sermon now, right? Because the moment... Listen to me. I'm preaching to me. The moment you think it depends on you, it's over. It's over. And for some of us in this room, the godliest thing that we could do and the most humbling thing that we could do is turn our phone off and take a day off. Because why? Because money that is gathered quickly and fraudulently, it'll dwindle away. 
But money that is gathered little by little, a.k.a. God's way, it will last. Because godly people earn money humbly, honestly, and diligently. And so when it comes to this idea of wealth, the Bible asks this predominant question. And this is the question that resides over the room today. How did you get it? How did you get it? Let us stand to our feet. And as we come to the table today to see the generosity of God, let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. So Westside, lift our voices out loud and let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and God, it is so humbling. That is the word that resounded in me this week. It is humbly to approach your word. And it's not just our view of money. Like, whose is it? Oh, yeah, it's God's. It's God's money. But then you ask us this question. How'd you get that? How'd you get that? God, I pray that there's some Zacchaeuses in here today <laughs> who by the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, their heart and mind is open to that grace and mercy and forgiveness. And then it's seen in real tangible repentance. Of, I acquired that in a dishonest way way and today the Lord has spoken and Jesus has come to this house and so I give it back not so God would love me but because in Christ he already does God I pray for those of us today who need an encouragement and an exhortation that we work hard because we work for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, who said on the cross, not it is good enough, but it is finished. That is what drives our work ethic in this place today. And then lastly for all of us, that we would be so humble to accept the invitation. Yes, God, we trust you. We trust you. And it doesn't depend upon me. And we trust in faith that you can do more in our life in one day than we can do in six. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us. And as we approach the table and see the very generosity of our God, the body broken and the blood shed, may we be reminded that we can trust you. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you come forward and partake in the elements today as you feel led?